0: Joining us now, Democratic Congressman from Massachusetts, Seth Moulton, who is also a member of the House Select Committee on Competition with China. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us this evening. When we think about the executive order and how narrow in scope it is, really just focusing on specific things like quantum technology and artificial intelligence, it's been described as a high fence for a small yard. Should the fence be higher or the yard be bigger? Is this doing enough?
1: Well, this is exactly the debate that we're going to have. Uh, We're having it on the China Committee already, and we're going to be having it more broadly in Congress. You know, my quick take on it is it's a huge step in the right direction, but it may not go far enough. And that's exactly what we're going to be debating in the coming days and weeks.
0: As you debate that, are there specific actions you would be advocating for, things you would like the administration to be pursuing in the interim?
1: So I co-chaired a task force on the future of our national security. It was called the Future Defense Task Force a couple of years ago. One of the industries that we identified uh, of particular concern is the biotech industry. Uh, we're the world leaders here in Boston, uh, but really number two is Beijing. And although it's hard for us to uh, imagine right now that you could actually manufacture tools for national security through biotech, that's exactly where this is headed. And so we've got to look carefully at whether we should restrictions on biotech uh, investing as well that's just an example of how we might have to make this yard uh, a little bit bigger now in terms of the fence being higher uh, right now what the executive order says is that direct investments in concerning industries uh, are a problem for with certain companies but if subsidiaries of those companies make these investments there's nothing wrong with continuing to invest in you know sort of the, the parent company that's very concerning to me because we all know how integrated these Uh, these conglomerates are uh, in China, not just with their different subsidiaries, but with the Chinese Communist Party. So this is another area that we're going to be examining closely in the in the weeks to come.
0: So if you are looking at areas, Congressman, in which you could go even further in some of these restrictions, and in theory, could make the relationship with China even more tense. At the same time that the administration is trying to restore regular, more regular communications and relations with Beijing, having administration officials meet their counterparts, how difficult is that needle to thread?
1: Look, it's it's challenging, but the number one goal with all of this is deterrence. We do not want World War III to start, uh, perhaps with a fight over Taiwan in the Pacific. That should be the goal of all of our policies at the end of the day. So while we're focused right now on competition with China, how do we compete more effectively with them in certain key technological areas, not only for our safety, because of the national security implications, but also because we know that China has a policy of stealing our technology, stealing our intellectual property. So a lot of the discussion is around having more effective competition. But at the end of the day, if that doesn't ultimately deter conflict, then and then then we're shooting ourselves in the foot, right? So all of these policies have to come back to deterrence. And that's a point that I think is often forgotten. We're talking about the economic implications. We're asking, does it go far enough? But really the fundamental question is, does this make it less likely we go to war or more likely go to, to go to war? That's gonna be my litmus test for ultimately voting for any policies like this that come through Congress.
0: Okay, so, Congressman, that's on preventing the wars of the future. There is also the question of the role of the U.S. in the roles of today, specifically on the issue of support for Ukraine. President Biden just today put his request for supplemental aid for Ukraine to Congress, $24 billion, combined with other emergency disaster aid and border and migration funding requests. It brings the total supplemental request to $40 billion. I'd like to get your reaction, if we could, to what Congressman, Republican Congressman French Hill of Arkansas told us on Bloomberg Sound On today about the idea of a supplemental. Take a listen. Don't just take the easy way out and do a supplemental. So I think the issue is less about Ukraine, wildfires, supporting Taiwan, and more about doing it inside those budget caps that uh, President Biden agreed to with Speaker McCarthy. Congressman, is this supplemental package too big of an ask for this Congress?
1: well, look, the uh, Republicans are leading the House and they've been all over the map. I mean, uh, Kevin McCarthy has already reneged, at least in his conversations with his most extreme members of the Freedom Caucus, he's already reneged on the deal that he made with President Biden. So I think that there's this quiet understanding on both sides of the aisle that the way to get around these extremists who are holding the Republican leadership of the House hostage is, in fact, to, have to do with supplemental. I understand. And it's easy for French Hill and others and to get on TV and say, we don't want to do it that way. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't. But let's be honest about the power centers here in the Republican Party and what's actually going on with holding, uh, you know, holding Kevin McCarthy's uh, feet when it comes to getting any of this passed.
0: Well, Congressman, you speak of quiet understandings. Is there also a quiet understanding uh, for you and your colleagues on Capitol Hill that the government is going to shut down this fall? Where do you put the odds of that?
1: Sadly, yes. Uh, there is a quiet understanding of that. There's this feeling that uh, the Republican Party is much more interested in grievances than governing, and they're going to find any excuse under the sun to shut the government down just to make a political point. And of course, they have a lot of excuses at hand. Uh, I mean, we have 11 appropriations bills, basic government funding bills that they have yet to pass. So they're way behind the ball. They're not doing their basic job, their basic responsibilities uh, for governing the country, sending these bills through the house to get them to the Senate so ultimately they can get to the president's desk and deliver much needed funding to our troops, to our veterans, to to border security, to, to many of the issues that they make political points about. Well, look, we're not gonna get funding for our border if the Republicans can't even get these funding bills out of a Republican controlled house. So sadly, there is uh, a lot of recognition that more than likely we're headed for a shutdown as a result of this just totally factionalized Republican leadership.
0: Do you think it's also more than likely that someone within the Biden administration will be impeached by this Congress?
1: Again, I I think that Speaker McCarthy knows that that's not responsible, that that's not responsible governing to just make up a political case for impeaching someone. Uh, I mean, we're not talking about a president who tried to overturn a Democratic election here. We're talking about grievances over, you know, exactly how the border uh, is being managed, which, of course, there's a lot of debate about all over the country, uh, not only on both sides of the uh, Hill in Washington. So... uh, This is not a good thing to do. I think that it was interesting when uh, I think it was Lauren Boebert, representative from Colorado, brought up an impeachment resolution. It was the Republican leadership that quickly tried to shove it aside and not deal with it because they don't want to have to face uh, all of this trouble when they can't even – fulfill the basic responsibilities of governing, like passing appropriations or funding bills. But the reality is that, that you know, Kevin McCarthy's not fully in charge here. He needed the votes of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, extremists in the Republican party, in order to get the speakership, and he may need their votes to hold on to it.
0: And finally, Congressman, if I could also just ask you on the news of today in regard to the economy, the cooling and inflation data we have seen, it it does not seem that the president's approval rating is changing, even as the economic trajectory would be theoretically improving in regard to how it reflects on the administration. How should the Democratic Party, how should President Biden go about bridging that divide between what people are feeling, what perceptions are and what the data is saying?
1: Well, we need to do a much better job of of really just connecting the dots here and explaining to the American people um, that, you know, there are a lot of political talking points out there. But the fact of the matter is that our economy is doing really well, uh, recovering from inflation. Uh, It's because of the economic stimulus overseen by the Biden administration that we came out of the pandemic stronger than almost any country on Earth. It's because of their great leadership on national security issues like Ukraine and China. Uh, that we have a plan, an aggressive plan to actually prevent war with these countries. There's nothing that would be more devastating to our economy uh, than a war and it's because we oppose things like the Republican effort to to implement a new round of Trump tax cuts, handouts to the wealthy at the expense of the middle class, uh, that we have long-term prospects that look pretty good going forward. But we need to tell this story. I mean, thank just to kind of connect this back to the beginning of the interview, I just came back from Eastern Europe and one of the things that's true in Eastern Europe, the consensus on the ground uh, and we heard it from the president of Taiwan when we met with her in in California is that there's almost nothing we can do to better deter a war with China than supporting Ukraine. That that's actually they're actually really committed connected even though they're very different parts of the globe. We got to tell that story and explain it to the American people frankly better than we've been doing today.
0: All right. Democratic Congressman of Massachusetts Seth Moulton thank you very much for your time this evening. We appreciate it. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th